Hello and welcome to Cage Club. Two fans, 81 movies, one cage. This is episode 84, Snowden, from 2016. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And back with us today, we have our Nicholas Cage, Oliver Stone duo expert, Tobin Addington. Hello, Tobin. Hey, guys. Glad to be back. Back from, I mean, um, among many episodes you've done, back from World Trade Center, which yes. we saw, I think, 10 years ago, 2006, <laughs> was Cage and Stone. And apparently, one thing I read was that he agreed to be in this as a favor to, to Stone. I guess they formed a bond on set of that. And so this was just sort of, because it's a little more than a cameo here, but it's cool that he, you know, sort of repaid a favor or just, you know, did a nice thing for his friend. Yeah, that's cool. I wonder if it was to get money to make the movie? Did it help him finance the movie? Or was it just to have another name in the cast? I'm, I'm, I'm wondering why Oliver Stone wanted him for this role. That is interesting because you'd feel like you'd give Nick Cage a bigger role. Like, there's another role in this, like the head of the NSA, right? Like, the evil guy. Like, I feel like Cage could have rocked the shit out of that role, yeah. right? Like, yeah. Joe, the Snowden's, like, quote-unquote boss for most of the movie but they give him this small little part i mean it's also again though it is kind of an important role even though it's very minimal Uh, i feel like he's playing the prototype snowden maybe you know he's like an old 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 school hacker yeah kind of right totally totally kind of tucked away in the basement with all of the toys and stuff. Yeah, underutilized unfortunately, but great for what he's on screen for. I wonder, one thing that I read was that this movie did not have a huge budget. The budget for this was $40 million, which I feel like for the star power that we have in this, and how nice it looks, that's not that much money. Mm-hmm. It only made like a little over 30 worldwide, so I mean, it flopped. This was like the worst I think wow. opening weekend for any Oliver Stone film that was in over 2,000 theaters. Like, this was just commercially a failure for him. But they were so tight on funds or timing or both that Oliver Stone's mom passed away while they were shooting this, and he couldn't even fly back to attend the funeral because they would get out of... They would, like, lose too much shooting days and, like, go over budget. So, you know, maybe... Maybe he wasn't a bigger role because he would have commanded more money, or maybe he was only in this so it was like basically one less person they had to pay. I don't know why he was the specific small role that he was, but I mean, I guess you could pick any any of those things. It just it just seems sort of unfortunate because I agree with Mike that like he, there are other roles, bigger roles in this movie that he could have been that not only for you know our purposes here to see what he's doing in the movie, but it just could have worked better. Yeah, and I even feel like you could have brought this character back a lot more, weaved him throughout the film because they're almost setting him up to be uh, maybe like a mentor to Snowden or some sort of surrogate father figure perhaps, but he never comes back. You know, there's opportunities. That there for him to sort of give advice or call him up on the phone or send him a secret message or anything, you know, like crack a code and playing playing a game or something. So I was very surprised that he didn't pop up for more than, you know, two and a half sequences. It's interesting. There may be a clue, Joey, in your thinking about the, the, the size of the movie, the budget of the movie, I should say. Mm-hmm. You know, there are, what, almost two dozen listed producers on the movie. And, a, and wow. a, at a budget that size with a project this, you know, risky, I wonder if they didn't have to sort of cobble together financing as much as they as they could, you know, from here and there. And so in, in that sense, you know, Cage, who still is able to sort of get stuff, assemble some money overseas right. for movies, is that probably has something to do with why it was a favor <laughs> and why he did it, you know? Uh, and then he probably, you know, 
didn't take much money and then was was able to sort of get them some money to make the movie. That would be my, my best guess. What movie was it like? Was it Dog Eat Dog that we read the interview about, like, if you have Nicolas Cage in your movie, it'll get made, mm-hmm. but the problem is that it eats your entire budget? Yeah, Schrader, I believe, was... was <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's strange, though, because, like, we like Cage is the biggest name in this movie pretty much and he is a cameo i mean joseph gordon levitt i i love him like i think he's a really strong actor he's really good and i don't know like even earlier work like hesher and stuff like he's just i'm always excited to watch him but we get like a cameo from timothy oliphant yep yeah right yeah. and back from gone in 60 seconds cage connection he plays what seems to be some kind of psychotic you know, agent type, but he also kind of just gets shuffled off to the side. I mean, maybe I think part of it is like, as far as budgetary concerns and stuff, like, yeah, it looks slick and it looks like a hundred million bucks, but it kind of, the story and the script, it kind of does play like a $40 million movie. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't feel like, like it kind of is, um, like, I don't feel like it's always on point. Like, I feel like it tries to encompass too much of Snowden and at the same time, maybe not enough of Snowden, you know, like it just feels a little uneven and too, maybe too many paths were trying to be explored here and could have benefited from a couple dollars for maybe another rewrite or a better writer. The problem that I had with it, and we talked about this because this is a movie, I think this was the first Cage movie that Mike and I ever saw together for the first time. And yeah. so we can get into the story of that later. But when we left the theater, we were just talking about what we thought of it. And the problem I had with it, and I told him back then, at the time that Snowden was doing his thing, you know, leaking about Prism and leaking about all the different stuff, I was reading tech news every day for eight hours a day and, you know, sharing the stuff to uh, readers of my company's website. Pretty much between just reading that stuff on a daily basis and then seeing Citizen 4 there's not a lot here that I didn't really know about because he was leaking the stuff and then it becomes out that it's him and we get into his backstory. Like I'm talking in terms of like the news cycle a couple years ago. It just didn't feel like the film was really kind of necessary in a way. And I don't know. I mean, you know, Mike was saying like, if you could sort of do it about different things or what have you, maybe that would have been better. It just felt like Citizen 4, the documentary, is so, so good, and that came out not that long ago that I wish that this film did something a little bit differently other than kind of exactly what you expect it to do. Yeah, there is not a lot of new ground covered here, right? And I suppose their thinking might have been doing it in a, you know, dramatic fictional context would, you know, allow them to sort of comment on stuff a little differently or a little more, or, or I'm not sure what, but you're, you're totally right. We don't penetrate his psyche in a way that I think is particularly interesting. I also, I, I think that one of my main problems with the movies, I, I come to this with very conflicted feelings about Snowden, including some some suspicion. And I and I feel like even though the, the way the movie's made, it's not sort of the paranoid fever dream of something like you know JFK or or um, or something like that. Oliver Stone, right? He's in more of a classical mode here, like sort of mm-hmm. like he was in in World Trade Center, and that I appreciate that. I think that's good. I do think though that he sort of it feels very unquestioning about Edward Snowden in a way, and I and I think that that is a, a less interesting sort of way to go. Maybe as you say, Joey, since that was the point of view of all the other profiles of him in terms of. Citizen Four and the Glenn Greenwald articles and things mm-hmm. like that that like took him as the hero, and this movie very much takes him as the hero. And I think that that uh, it might have been more interesting if it was a little more um, sort of nuanced. 
Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. You know, I was definitely expecting from Oliver Stone something with a little more like balls to it. I, I don't know. Like, it's. I wish it was like more extreme. I just Oliver Stone should have really done like a JFK or like a you know Natural Born Killers version of this movie where he goes crazy artsy with it to make it some kind of '70s paranoid thriller, techno thriller, maybe even. I expected more from Oliver Stone. I guess my one real problem with the movie is that it just doesn't feel like it has the guts. Like it, it's not really creating the debate, like you say, Tobin. Like it pretty much comes down on the side that you know Oliver Stone is clearly on Snowden's side. You know, there's no question about it. Like I just even think from a personal standpoint, mm-hmm. it could have been right. a reason why he wanted to make this movie because I mean he's just a very politically active filmmaker. I was just expecting it to be more controversial. You know, as weird as that says, and and also the fact that we kind of know everything already is is a tough sell. I mean, the one thing I didn't know was that Snowden suffered from seizures. Right, right, and right. that isn't exactly the most interesting thing to find out about in a movie about you know cyber security. Right. Well, what's kind of strange, and I feel like this is why it's not as ballsy, or he's not as made out to be an anti-hero as much as a hero, or whatever. It feels like he was making this movie, or he wanted to like have a script that like Snowden gave him permission to use, because mm. what I read today, just refreshing myself about the movie, and what they talked about in the Fathom Events interview after we watched the movie, he went to Moscow a couple times, like I think three or four times, to meet with Edward Snowden, and it seemed like he really just wanted to tell the story the way Edward wanted it, wanted it to be told, as opposed to having his own vision. You know, like it's mm-hmm. it seems mm-hmm. like he's making a movie to make him happy, as opposed to being like, this is a story I want to tell, and I don't care whether or not he approves of be- approves of it, because unlike Citizen Four, this is a work of fiction. You're, you guys are right. Like, there's just nothing. I wish I want controversy. There's just no controversy here. Yeah, it sort of feels like a movie that could have been made by almost any other director. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. there's a, gener- a generic quality to it. It's not that it's it's poorly constructed in terms of, you know, the way it's shot. or uh, But it's just, it just feel, it just doesn't have a lot of personality to it. And I, I think you guys are both totally right. Enjoy your, the idea that they see sort of given over the, his voice, all, Stone is given over his voice to Snowden. It feels like it sort of suffers from that, I think. There's also the thing that, like, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is like so happy that Snowden's parents approved of his take on his son. Like he shouldn't really care about it. Like I'm sure that he wants to hear praise about his work, but like just do something as opposed to seeking praise from the people involved, if that makes sense. Like it's not the exact same thing as making the movie or choosing to make the movie the way you want to make it, but it just seems like they're out setting out to like make they, they like admire the Snowdens as a family so much that they want to do everything to make them proud. Yeah, it's tough because when you set out to try and please everyone, you almost please nobody, right? Or like you just are making this for a narrow group of people, but it's a film that's released to everybody else also. So, you know, yeah, they need to see it too. It needs to, like, we need to be able to relate. And I'm sure, and then Joseph Gordon Levitt's a great mimic. Like, if you've seen The Walk, he does a, <laughs> great, a yeah. great Philippe Petit, you know, like, he's, he's, a, he's a good actor and everything. But I think you're right, Joey. Like, that doesn't really matter. Like, it shouldn't live or die by that type of judgment. Like, you should just be creating the art and the film and your message 
that you want. And especially as a filmmaker at the caliber of someone like Oliver Stone, it's a little strange that it doesn't even feel like an Oliver Stone movie. I mean, maybe at like the hour mark where he talks about when he goes to Japan and then they get into like that cool montage about, you know, how they've been dumping malware into different countries and they show like this crazy intricate web of mass communication and it all sort of morphs into this vision of an eye and it's like wow that was really like cool and interesting and it really it it was explaining things visually while telling me stuff that was sort of different like commenting on it and I was almost expecting more of that energy the entire movie whereas like you said Tobin like anyone else could have sort of directed the rest of this it just doesn't feel like it has any particular style to it it's a good point about that mont- or montage thing that, that resolves in the f- image of the eye because I-, I wonder if they weren't most worried about that going into the making of the movie like how do we make all this computer stuff visual right how do we how do we represent that on screen in a way that's dynamic and interesting and visual and gets at our theme and it, it feels a little bit as though in some of the other sections of the movie particularly I felt like the Snowden stuff in the quote unquote present day in the hotel room in Hong Kong that that stuff they didn't they thought oh we can just we can do that <laughs> we don't have to worry about that and that maybe they should have worried about that just a little bit more mm-hmm. yeah and I think you know having Citizen 4 which is kind of that right like right. it is just him in the yep. hotel room like right. why even why even use that as a framing device for this film why not just take us through chronologically like I understand why like I you know I know why they used it as a framing device. I mean, people, you know, that is just like, that is the pivotal moment in his life. So you got to have it on screen at some point. But I I mean, I think it would have been a lot more, I don't know if it would have been more interesting, but I just think it would have been a better way to go to show us stuff we haven't seen before or haven't heard about. And we've all seen and heard about him in that hotel room. I really wonder if that was sort of a product of oh, we got Melissa Leo for our movie, we need to make her scenes, like, sort of like what we wish they did with Cage, be like, oh, we got, you know, an Academy Award mm-hmm. winning, I think, right, for The Fighter? Uh, mm-hmm. We got an Academy Award winning actress in this movie, like, let's give her some more scenes. Like, even though, or maybe it's to make people feel comfortable, I don't know. Like, we also, I think, I mean, I don't remember exactly, I don't want to speak for you, Mike, but I feel like when we left the movie, we just, we were both sort of like, that kind of felt long. Like, maybe yeah. cut that stuff out, and just like, even if you don't really show new things that all felt so familiar and i know that it's important but i I don't know yeah it you know it felt to me a little bit like maybe it was to save some money you know like you can you can sort of shorthand the rest of his life by having it always return to this hotel room and that hotel room isn't is a is not an expensive place to be and it's it's a little chamber piece with just a couple actors in it and you have all of the documentation of it because you know, they had access to all of that stuff through the Citizen Four footage. And so, it, you know, it, it, it sort of makes some sense in terms of getting this particular version of this movie made. I, I just don't think it was as interesting as this subject matter could have been. I, I quite like Zachary Quinto as an actor, but I found his Glenn Greenwald kind of insufferable. And maybe and maybe I would have found Glenn Greenwald a little insufferable. You know, like maybe he's playing it well and I just would be annoyed by him as a person anyway. But but any, every time I was in those scenes, I was thinking, oh, can we please move on to the story? Because I'm, I'm just less interested. This feels less sophisticated, less interesting, and less sort of dynamic than you know the rest of the story, the, the, the way it's being told. Uh, it's tough with the length of this film because 
it has to cover so much as far as his work, like being a contractor, being an analyst and working for the NSA. Like there's just a lot there. Like he bounced around in his life to all these different places. So, I mean, that movie alone would be a good hour or maybe even an hour 20. But then you've got to throw in the stuff like the relationship with his girlfriend, right? Which doesn't, I mean, I'm glad it's there because it's stuff about him I wasn't aware of and wasn't in the news. But again, it it makes it feel it just kind of stalls the movie at points it doesn't really feel like it's necessary or integral to his decision in the very end because he couldn't tell her anything anyway you know about like his work (laughs) or anything like it wasn't you know like she didn't have a choice in the matter and he did what he wanted to do regardless maybe if they could have worked the relationship to be more fictionally interesting in some other ways aside from them just kind of not getting along every once in a while basically having just like a normal what seems like a normal relationship that people have like there wasn't really i'm saying that like the dynamic there didn't even feel like enough to spend time on and yet it adds to the length of this movie so i don't know what they could have dropped or where they could have pumped this up but there's definitely i think they could have done more with less here basically but i mean you have to have shailene woodley in there so that you know, the four corners, the four quadrants of a movie that you have a relationship <laughs> and you have uh, guys looking at her because she's beautiful and she also like is pole dancing in this movie and learns how to pole dance for this movie and the only thing I remember about her from the news a couple years ago was that I remember Lindsay Mills as the name and I just like the whole thing was like she just sort of didn't know which it's, it's, it's I mean that's what they show in this movie like, she knows that something is up but doesn't know what like you were just saying and it, you just feel bad for her like the whole movie she's just you know as admirable as what his actions were if you think that what he did was admirable he's got to be insufferable to live with because like it's just everything about their relationship like he's so controlling and everything has to be his way and like she can never know why like he knows that like certain things have to be certain ways or whatever because of what the nsa is doing you know living with that and knowing that like there's more that there's things that you can't know but like you you know that it just man like it just, <laughs> yeah. it's 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 awful yeah and i feel like like that needs to chart throughout the entire film like she needs to get more and more annoyed with him or you know it needs to become more and more difficult but instead we get like one scene where they're gonna go climb mount fuji and they get into like this big blood argument and then it's over and like that's the scene that shows that they're having trouble in their relationship i feel you know like i feel like they just are like we need to hit this spot let's do it now and like move on from it instead of really you know making something of it like making it something over the course of his relationship like struggle like showing that struggle for real like take a long time you know like show it chart over his you know, frustration with his work and his job and coming to the decision that he, what he comes to and everything and just how, how that sort of relates to his private life as well. But I don't feel like we ever get like a juxtaposition there that means anything, you know, like that really like because of this was going on in his private life, it sort of led to the decision to do this at work, like to, you know, take all this information. I wish it, even if it was just for the sake of the movie, had some kind of meaningful parallel. Well, because, like, the other thing in that regard, and this is something that, it's it's a little bit of an off-base in terms of what we're talking about, but, like, this movie blends fiction and non-fiction. Like, Cage plays a guy, like, his character, Hank Forrester, is not actually the guy's real name. Like, he plays based on this guy, I think, William Binney, mm-hmm. who was an NSA guy for 30 years, and he became a whistleblower. So he resigned, I think, like, a year after 9-11, and just like Cage in the movie... 
you know, talked about how he had this system that was much simpler than what the NSA wound up using that was also, you know, better and cheaper and sort of across the board, you know, whether or not that's true, that's what this guy says. And so to have a movie or to to sort of create a world for the movie that's not 100% accurate, like, I think that you're you should have the artistic freedom to like make this relationship more exciting or just do what you want with certain aspects to make it a better movie because the documentary version of this has already been told so if you're if you're trying to sort of kind of fictionalize it a little bit go make make at least make it interesting can i pitch you guys an alternate version of this movie absolutely what if this movie was from Lindsay Mills' point of view? So we follow this young woman and she meets this guy and he's kind of stuffy and conservative but a little bit charming and he turns him sort of, you know, around a little bit and she's intrigued by him and he ends up having this this job she doesn't quite know about and right so we sort of chart her chart the whole thing through her point of view until like the bomb drops like she until she has like really figures out what he you know what what what's been up, right? And then you tell the second half or the last third of the movie you go back and you play his side of it leading up to that sort of moment, right? Pick a focus for the movie, right? Like pick a point of view and a person and a and, and maybe be less interested in covering all of the true life bases and instead like invest a little bit more in a, in a character's emotional point of view as they sort of struggle through this stuff. And then I think you, you wouldn't have the problem of those scenes feeling like they're, oh, this is our, we're hitting the beat of this relationship going, you know, sour and whatever. Which again, I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with the those scenes like it's not that they're like you say it's hard to, to pick oh take this out but if you chose a new sort of sort of radically different point of view on the story i think you might unearth something new you know because then she's plays then she is a version of us the, the american public who is coming who's realizing over the course of this what what has happened what we are complicit in in some way what we are living with you know based on what we've been living with what our government is authorized in terms of surveillance the same way that she's you know living with this guy who's been doing this you know struggling with this all, all along I feel like you could you could there's some material to be to be mined there if you sort of took a step back and changed your approach I think that's good because really the only perspective that we know either from the news or from the documentary or whatever is his so to do like literally from any other person's point of view would be yeah. interesting yeah and his point of view is kind of a complex one right from the start you know it's not like he's a simple person to decipher right like he's a very kind of quiet complex super smart guy so he's not a very good entry character for this story for the i feel for the audience to be following right so i feel like if we were following his girlfriend who you know would represent the common man right that is just oblivious to this the whole paranoia vibe and the secrecy feel would really be amped up a lot more mm-hmm. if, uh, if we took that angle, at least for most of the movie or for more of the movie. I don't feel like we ever see things from her point of view whatsoever. Like, she is just like kind of an object here, unfortunately, whereas she could have been utilized to a point, right, for, for reasons. And yeah, and if they're going to take, I didn't realize how many liberties they did take with this. I mean, if it's not really going to be reality anymore anyway, why not? It's not like you have to turn him into Jack Ryan, right? Like, <laughs> when, I, when I think NSA analyst, I think of Jack Ryan, and having, having just watched that saga uh, a couple days ago, I don't need more of that, you know? Like, do like the real street level, like, boring nerd guy who gets caught up in the underworld of 
American Espionage. Like that is the movie I was sort of more expecting because uh, even there just doesn't feel like there's any secrecy here. Do something more like Brick, which I mean, you know, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is used to, right? Where it's just sort of like a a normal guy trying to uncover things, sort of, as opposed to I think I don't know. Yeah, and that's another thing too is like I don't really feel like Snowden did all that much detecting. Like I I don't know. They almost set him up like he was going to be this you know sleuth that was going to be some kind of spy right that pulled off this mission but he just kind of saw like something he didn't agree with like this this doesn't look right to me and i mean i'm not saying it was right or wrong either i mean this is a complex matter but i mean basically what he did was he just like took this data i mean i was under the impression that it was going to be almost like a heist or something and i and even if that isn't the way it really went down maybe it would have been more of an entertaining movie like it's not the worst movie like there's things about it i like but it just kind of dropped the ball yeah maybe you start with him escaping with the stuff right like maybe you start with the Mm -hmm. heist and and work back from there Mm -hmm. rather than starting with the interview you know you know already we've come up with three or four alternate sort of takes on the material that i think would have been more useful and more interesting more sort of dynamic yes oh one other thing i wanted to talk about in terms of the i guess the behind the scenes movie making of this before we talk about cage is in what three scenes i think or is there more? Yeah, he's in two full scenes and then gets sort of like a return at the end there. Right. One line at the end, right. right. So the last thing I want to mention, right. at least the last thing on my list I want to mention before we get into you know his character and what his role in the movie is, at least to, to Snowden, is that this is a movie that we thought we were going to be able to record last year, right? Or, you know, early this year or whatever, that this film started shooting in February 2015. It was supposed Mm -hmm. to come out last Christmas, December 2015, Mm. only 10 months later. And then they realized that the special effects, I guess, weren't going to be done in time. The things were sort of like, I guess the post-production was too complicated for that timeline. So they bumped it to May. From there, we didn't know why until I just found out now, they bumped it to September because they didn't want to compete with like blockbusters because May is the beginning of blockbuster season. And this movie, even though it flopped in September, I guess would have flopped extra hard. (laughs) (laughs) So we were under the impression because we kept bumping this back like we thought it was going to be because when it was originally supposed to come out was when we were still catching up to his movies so we could have done it ostensibly at the end of that run like you know that could have been the end of phase one or whatever and then when they bumped it to may we were like oh cool like that's you know one of the first ones this year the trust we didn't know when the trust was going to come out but this would have been like the second movie this year and then they bumped it to september and we were all like salivating like oh look this is for oscar push like this is going to be but no like they're just afraid that this movie wasn't going to do well and it didn't do well so i mean Mm -hmm. we're still a month away from academy award nominations but like i don't think there's any kind of any buzz about this at all right like this is just a complete under the radar you know flop commercially kind of critically i think it's sort of mixed ish let me actually look up the rotten tomatoes i know it has like a it's not great i mean like it's strange too because i i almost thought for a minute that they like strategized this release around the election you know because it was Mm. an election season and Mm. snowden and you know all this it would affect the conversation hopefully but none of that even happened i mean i don't you know unfortunately the the election sort of seemed to be hijacked by other matters uh, aside from actual (laughs) you know real issues this time so it has a 61 percent on rotten tomatoes which is barely fresh 60 percent as a cutoff 
and the consensus is Snowden boasts a thrilling, fact-based tale and a solid lead performance from Joseph Gordon-Levitt, even if director Oliver Stone saps the story of some of its impact by playing it safe. Which I think is basically what we're saying. Like, it's not bad, but it just could be more, it could be better. I don't know this could ever really be... Like, I don't think, you know, I guess it could be a great movie. I just don't know, based on the finished product, I think you would need to do a lot of work to make it a great, great movie. I think it could be better Mm. relatively easily, but I don't know if it could be great. Yeah, my problem is I have to keep changing it until eventually it morphs into something more like Mission Impossible. (laughs) You know, where they're stealing the knock files from the ceiling and dropping down. Or National Treasure, like Nicolas Cage, you know, stealing (laughs) the Declaration (laughs) of Independence, but instead it's just stealing the NSA. And that's the other thing, like, I mean, it's tough because I feel like maybe they should have gone more biopic with it, like get into his childhood, get into more of his military career, get into less of what we know already, you know, otherwise turn it into like a cloak and dagger 70s marathon man type thriller or something where his country's really out to get him. And it's just like a bleak, dark 2010 or whatever 2016 version of that, you know, paranoid state of of mine. I mean, that's the thing. I don't get paranoid from watching this movie, and I want to. You know, I feel like this movie should make me question things and be leery of stuff, and instead, I'm just like, you know, I'm not. I don't know. (laughs) I am primed to be made paranoid by this kind of movie. I've been working on a project recently that that is sort of in the intelligence community, military industrial complex sort of area. And in the process of doing that, I've, I've taken off my Fitbit band and I've, I've covered all my computer uh, cameras and tape. And like, I, I've done all that stuff just because it's, it is all kind of terrifying. But this movie, it, this movie does not activate any of that stuff. I keep thinking about, is there, would there be a way to do this movie like All the President's Men? To do this mm-hmm. movie, because that, there's, that is a fact-based TikTok docudrama about Woodward and Bernstein uh, uncovering the Watergate break-in and leading to Nixon's resignation and all of that. A very controversial subject at the time, came out very close to when it happened, very sympathetic to the to the protagonists of the movie, uh, you know, in the way that, to some, to some degree, to, in the way this movie is. And I, and I can't quite put my finger on exactly how this movie could be like that, but they one thing that they certainly did in that movie is they used everybody's name and they had all the research for everybody everything in that in that movie and so in this where you're sort of uh, as we've said playing a little fast and loose with the real with the facts but not fast and loose enough to make it sort of interesting you you don't have the that same sense of of real life paranoia that i think this movie probably should give you right yeah i mean like what what's the most paranoid that this movie makes you it's like when they watch that one woman undress right and be like oh well anybody can be like you know spied on at any time i don't i, I don't mm-hmm. know if i want more of that or just different situations or it's all sort of internalized fear as opposed to Mm -hmm. actually injecting fear into you i think that might be some of the problem is that they don't scare you and they in i don't like there's that one scene where his girlfriend is like why is my web camera covered up and he's like well because you know russian hackers have the power to spy on us through our webcam and she's like i don't care like i've got nothing to hide and it's like well that is completely diffused now there's no drama here anymore you know like this isn't an issue then i i mean sure it's gonna still it still bothers him a little but it's not gonna bother her in any degree and i just feel like they bring it up just to drop it and that's just kind of strange and it's just it's it's an element that could be played more and could be played for tension but it's just dropped. That's a great point. It, it gets to something that 
maybe also bothered me about this movie or sort of just piggybacking on what you're saying. Maybe what it is that Oliver Stone, because he is so sympathetic to Snowden and his point of view, it takes as a given the way that we should come out on that, right? Like there's only one point of view in this movie. He's not in the, in the business of persuading you, right? So when, when Snowden says to uh, Lindsay, when she's talking about, oh, you know, I don't have anything to hide, and he says, oh, that's just bullshit. Well, tell us why. Tell us why, because I think a lot of people feel that way. A lot of people feel like, you know, I, I'm I'm not doing anything wrong. So what what does it matter that I post pictures of myself on Facebook and that I you know tweet what the movies that I'm watching and wear a Fitbit and you know like what why why is that a bad thing? And I think that there are real reasons why we should be leery of that. But the movie doesn't maybe thinks that sort of preaching to the choir in some way, right? Like it's not mm-hmm. it's not taking the time to tell us this is why this is a moral imperative. This is why you should care. This is how it could af- affect you directly, except through some sort of abstract ways and I th- and I think that maybe the problem is this movie is about Edward Snowden maybe this movie should have been about someone you know who who was harmed by this or so I, I don't know I don't know I, that, that may be a bad idea but in any case I do feel like Oliver Stone is taking as a given stuff that that should be that the movie should be um, taking a, some time to persuade us about yeah absolutely so I think that's a good point to sort of and the what this movie could have been and talk a little bit at least about what this movie actually is at least within the focus of our main man Nicolas Cage. One little detail that I really liked this time that I didn't notice when we saw it in theaters was when Joseph Gordon-Levitt walks into his little office there is a sign on the door that says Hank's Little Museum. Like It seems like it looks like a handwritten sign mm. that I'm imagining he wrote because Cage plays a guy who's sort of like he, he's been beaten down. Like the, the closest way that I can describe him, and I feel like I did this on another episode recently, was he's kind of like Fox Mulder, sort of, if, mm. you know, instead of being able to go in the field, he just had to train young FBI agents. Like he's this guy who had all this excitement and enthusiasm, and it's just now kind of like a broken man. His excitement is when he sees what is ostensibly a younger version of himself. Mm -hmm. That here's this guy who doesn't drink, who doesn't do drugs, who is super into technology and computers and really gung-ho about this job. This is like a young mind that Cage can shape. And it feels like maybe, you know, Tobin, you can, I don't think you're at this point because you still seem cheerful and optimistic, (laughs) but maybe it's like a disillusioned professor who just like has to teach the same things every semester forever. And then like once every year or two, like you get that one guy, that one student who just gets it. And that is sort of enough to keep you going. Because here, it just seems like he's kind of puttering around until retirement. Like, it doesn't seem like he's doing anything because he created a system that the government didn't use. Instead, they used something way bigger and less effective and more expensive. And he just seems content there just to sort of, like, putter around for the rest of his days. Yeah, he's a fascinating kind of character. And not just because this is Cage Club, but because of... The character itself, I think it would have been cool to spend more time with him to get a real, a more a full sense of that. Because you're totally right. This is the guy that Snowden would have turned into, the movie's telling us, if he had only played within the rules and sort of, you know, within the system said, hey, this is wrong, this is wrong, right? Like they would have shuffled him off to some little dusty office somewhere and given him, you know, trainees to teach or whatever. Like he would have been put out to pasture. Right, and and so this is the fate that's awaiting Snowden if he doesn't take the steps that he takes at the end of the movie, and that's kind of fascinating. And it would have been interesting for him to sort of interact with him more as he's thinking about what he's going to do, and you know, like I feel like there are a ver- again a version of this movie because if you're changing it this much, then then you should change it so maybe to the point where you know we see Cage 
uh, you know, advising him on how to sort of pursue up the chain of command until they have some kind of break. And I, I don't know. We, we, we've already re- rewritten the movie enough. But I do wish we saw him more because he, he has very interesting things to say here. You can tell me if you're busy, but is that a Cray one? Why, yes. Yes, it is. The first supercomputer. You get all of this on a cell phone now. Yeah. I love this character, actually, and it's crazy because, like, he's not in this movie a lot, but he makes such a big impact just because he feels fleshed out. Like, like the room, like his office, like he's surrounded by all those relics, right? Like, when we see yep. him, he's fixing, like, one of those code crackers from World War II, talking about the Alan Turning and the, the, all those old machines and everything, and he's almost like this caretaker of the past in a way or something, and I don't know, I just get, like, an immediate history from from this guy it's strange because there's there's some pivotal connections like aside from the ones that we mentioned between him and snowden like uh like their test scores i think were like the same or something like cage mentions like you're the only one to score like higher than me or something there's yeah. some remark you know like they bond the rubik's cube is introduced mm-hmm. through cage's character mm-hmm. right like he's got all those puzzles on his desk and, and snowden keeps taking one so like we've introduced the motif of of the rubik's cube way early with Cage and that's what he hides his data in at the very end of the movie so it's really cool that he's here and he's fully formed in this way Um, I just wish there was more and the smoking the smoking really (laughs) I think Joey you and I even said like after seeing this like wow he's really smoking a lot in this movie just to kind of see a character in 2016 just so nonchalantly be a chain smoker was kind of funny well when we saw this in the theaters Mike and I literally cheered like we basically gave a standing ovation without getting out of our seats because we were so excited like in our theater of I don't know 12 people who went to see this special event you know we were just so excited to see him not knowing that you know even if we weren't obsessed with him that he was going to be the best part of this movie we were just so happy to see him on screen and it's it's fitting i guess that it reflects itself in that he's the most interesting character he's the only one that's sort of three-dimensional and also you know at the very end he kind of gets that completed arc where he's just like pointing to the screen when snowden is on every news channel explaining why he did what he did and you know cage's wife who we'd never see up until that point maybe he mentions her maybe not but he just like he did it like not even talking to her but just like sort of to himself like you know almost like i did it like this is what i wanted to do (laughs) and you know it's it's just great that we get this guy who has nothing going for him but at the end he sort of has his own little personal victory because snowden did what he did yeah it's true right i feel like when he meets snowden it's like oh there's still hope like a new hope or something right like he's like you said tobin like he's been tucked away into a corner because the establishment is not happy with this guy like he's almost too smart for his own good and he's a troublemaker and we gotta keep an eye on him and yeah when he sees snowden he's like okay they're not all like them like there's Mm -hmm. still one or two like me being made out there and i found one and like all right yeah i can maybe i can retire now and just stay home with my wife and and watch tv and smoke (laughs) cigarettes and talk to myself like that's fine with him and it's right i'm so glad they just cut back to him there at the end because it validates his importance as a character you know and it proves that it's like a meaningful thing and i almost feel like it should have been more in the movie he also has a great little speech and i think it's 
I can't remember now if it's the first or the, maybe it's the second scene that he that he's in. It must be the second scene when he's describing this this program that he had built that that had been yep. shelved at the NSA that then a contractor had, had made a a version of you know for four billion dollars or whatever, right? And he talks about how Snowden can't understand why they didn't use his design, and he says Cage says something about how it's the military industrial happiness complex, I think he calls it, and he says, efficiency and results don't matter. Like, that's not the point. The point is that the money spigot stays on from Congress, and everybody keeps, the the revolving door of these contractors keeps going, and it's about so much more than actually, um, in fact, to the point of not being at all about doing the best, most efficient job. And that is sort of set up as Snowden's thing, right? Like, he's his, he has a brain that maximizes efficiency, and you know that's sort of maybe a little bit lost in the rest of the course course of the movie. But that, to me, out of Cage's mouth, spoke most directly and truly to sort of the theme of the movie, or or sort of it's it was his best articulation, I thought, of the real fundamental ills in the way that the sort of country processes the military and intelligence and all this stuff again to have him in there to sort of articulate how that affects a real person which again it does for him maybe that's one of the reasons he's such an interesting character is because he's a real person who has been affected by all this and and the fact that you you see less of that in the rest of the movie is sort of you know makes him stand out you would think intelligence would count for something in the intelligence business right but you want to know what it really is what really sets the agenda military industrial happiness management you keep the coffers open in congress you keep the money flowing to the contractors efficiency results they go out the window yeah he's he's almost the perspective i would imagine like oliver stone is giving you know in, in a way like that is his attitude is more of what I expected the attitude of the rest of the movie to be. And yet it's not. It's under the weight of Big Brother or something, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's more about... It's not, like, about sort of raging against the machine or standing up for your beliefs until... It really needs to be at the end because that's what he did is he took this, you know, information and he became this whistleblower and everything like that. But it's weird. It almost seems like they could have set up like a perfectly good movie from that jump point And then they just went in a completely tangent direction and just, I don't know, maybe more by the book instead of by the heart or something. Uh-huh. Right. One thing that I did like about, and I think that it was that second, that second interaction. Like in the, so in the first interaction, he has the best line in the movie where he's basically asking Joseph Gordon-Levitt, you know, what gets you off? Am I an engineer? Instructor and counselor, too. I'm supposed to keep an eye on you CTs. Make sure you don't buckle under the pressure. Turn to drugs and booze. Well, you you won't have that problem with me. I I don't drink or do drugs. What is your sin of choice? Uh, computers. Well, then, Snowden, you've come to the right little whorehouse. You know, we hooped and hollered, and, like, we were just, like, we <laughs> loved that line. Like, that was the best, and I think, you know, when we did the Snowden mini-sode, we were just like, we're not going to say what it was, but, like, he has the best line in the movie. But it's a second interaction that, you know, Tobin was talking about, kind of, like, the theme stated, or, you know, at least the point of, like, why all this matters. Mm-hmm. But what I also liked about that second scene, and it goes back to what Mike was saying about them talking about their grades, is that he hands 
Joseph Gordon-Levitt, the picture of him when he was in the military school, and yes. it looks like he's from USS Indianapolis. Like, it looks... Yep. It's, a, it's, it's a doctored, young image of Cage, which is great, and it also looks like he, in some other reality, you know, he would have been swabbing up that giggle water and joining the Men of Courage <laughs> on the, you know, bringing the atom bomb over to Japan. Like, that is what, and you know, when we saw this movie in September, we hadn't seen USS Indianapolis yet, which, again, we don't really like that movie, but it's cool to see, like, this Cage, this young Cage, sort of could have gone off and done that similar thing. So it's sort of like sliding doors, like, this Cage <laughs> of a military past, what's his future going to be? This is part of your grand unified theory of Cage? I mean, I still kind of want to write the Ultimate Cage movie. I don't know how we're going to weave all of this in. I mean, we know that he has to have a red sports car. We know that he has to be eating a peach. We know that Elvis has got to be on the radio. Maybe he's <laughs> maybe he's on leave from his job in the military. I don't know. But this is definitely a theme, at least as we get sort of older, often more dignified Cage, that seems to be more military-focused. So I don't know. You, you know what's interesting, though, is like uh, now that we're talking about Cage, and you mentioned that one line that he had in their first interaction but even in, in their second interaction he has another line where uh, he's like they tasked me with finding the needle in the internet haystack and I was like wow like they're giving K- either they're giving him all the lines or he's busting these out somehow but it's just funny how the levity he brings and the sort of groundedness that he mm-hmm. achieves with like he just feels real and complete and stuff and I don't know I just thought it was funny that he gets all the great lines in this like no one else really turns to the camera and spouts one off like that you know it's not like Snowden ever goes like turns to the camera and is like they are spying on you but I'm spying on them or anything right like we never get any anything it's almost like action level hero like type of quotes that they're giving Cage here. Do you think that he's able to be sort of the comic relief because he's the only person in this movie who's not dealing with like who's not in the shit on a day to day basis? Mm. Like everybody Mm -hmm. else that Joseph Gordon Levitt interacts with Basically, if they screw up, like, another 9-11 can happen. And so they all have these immense responsibilities, and Cage just like, yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm just dusting things off. Like, that's my <laughs> job now. And so because he's not in it to the point where it's really a matter of life or death in his hands each and every day, maybe he's able to sort of relax and be a little mm. bit more upbeat because everybody in this movie is so down about pretty much everything except for him, yeah. which is, aside from the fact that we just love him, what's, it's what makes him sort of enjoyable in this movie. When we meet him, he's in his favorite whorehouse with all these, you know, with the, whatever machine came after the Enigma machine, right? And all these sort of cryptography machines and, and, and early supercomputers and stuff. His little museum, right? This is where he's so at home, right? He's having a ball. Like, yeah, he's he's been, sh- you know, shuffled aside and he's down on his luck. But he's like, he's making the most of it. You, you know, he's he's sort of content with what he's with what he's got. He's made himself content with what he's got in, in some way. And that, I think, is kind of an, an appealing thing. As you say, so many of the other characters are, have this sort of portentous kind of like DC Universe scowl all the time, right? Like, it's a, it's a, they're all, it's a real bummer all, all across the board, except occasionally with Lindsay and um, Snowden as they're sort of, when they're falling in love or whatever. And then the, uh, there's one guy, there's one young guy from the NSA, I, 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 I never caught his name, with some, kind of longer hair and the backpack and the beard, you know, like, a scruff mm-hmm. who's like has no moral qualms <laughs> yeah. about what he's doing and he's the first one to sort of show Snowden how he can you know hack into people's emails and he was a joy on screen every time he was he was on screen I thought and I and I think that that's maybe because those 
those two characters in particular, we got to see them having a little bit more fun. I don't know. That's <laughs> I, I don't know that this movie needed more fun, but it was sure nice when you got to see some on screen. It was just interesting from Cage's character's perspective how now that he's sort of out of the fight or not in the game anymore, he can sit back on the sidelines and be a commentator and... I just like how, at that point, you see how dark and cynical these guys are, you know? And it's coming out through humor with Cage. Um, And these other guys that are younger and still on the job, and I'm sure it's more intense now than it used to be, but you see them when one scene, like, having a bonfire. And all the guy can talk about is how, like, on the drone strike, he was told it was a kitten, and then he told it was a dog, but in reality it was a kid, you know? And, like, how this job is killing him. And I mean, yeah, everybody just gets mega depressed about what they need to do having to turn like death into a job or you know all this kind of clandestine lying and everything like having to make it seem like you're going to be a barber or something you know just making it a job you see how it can sort of turn on these people and I think that needed to be bumped up a little more with Snowden too like I didn't get the sense that the pressure was getting to him I didn't get the sense that his it was like a super moral decision it was just kind of like oh go we're spying on ourselves twice as much as the rest of the world that's not good because we should be spying on the rest of the world more than ourselves like that really kind of feels like the time he decided something needed to be done it's i don't really get the growing sense that he was conflicted and you know gonna have this profound epiphany at one point where he was like i'm a whistleblower like i stand up it's too bad that a lot of that stuff doesn't play through the movie as well instead of just sort of land at certain moments yeah no but it's great that we do get cage i think we sort of covered the movie i have a few other tidbits that i want to mention but Tobin, is there anything else in your notes or mike as well that you you wanted to mention about his his character or anything before we wrap up ish not for me uh i'm good so there's a few other things that i want to say real quick before we wrap up number one I mean, this is the level of, I guess, I can't imagine living in Oliver Stone's brain ever, but especially when making this movie, because to make sure the screenplay was not hacked or leaked, he wrote the script on a single computer with no internet connection. So you can just sense the level of paranoia that he's going through, you know, make sure that this ultra top secret, super important movie that he's writing doesn't get in the hands of the wrong people who sabotage him or, you know, wipe his hard drive or whatever. I think more people are trying to get the new Star Wars script. You would imagine so. One other thing that I read was that, you know, Shailene Woodley plays Lindsay Mills, and I do really like her, but apparently Margot Robbie was offered the role first, and she only had to turn it down because of a scheduling conflict, so it seems like like she wanted to do this movie. And actually, when we watch the interview, because there's a Fathom Events, the the, the screening that Mike and I went to, and this is on the Blu-ray or the DVD if you buy it or rent it or whatever, there was an interview with Oliver Stone and Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Shailene Woodley. She just, like, she's such a weirdo in real life. Like, she's, like, this really super carefree, free spirit. She was just like, oh, I don't, you know, I don't really watch movies. Like, I don't know. Like, I just, you know, I started watching Oliver Stone's movies for this because I knew that he was going to be directing. And, like, I, I like her, but I feel like, I don't know, do you think Margot Robbie would have been better in her role? Or would it have been sort of, you know, a, a dysfunctional, sort of incomplete character, two-dimensional character, no matter who it was? It's tough. I think she's not well-written, but I feel like Margot Robbie's a stronger actress by far. Like, I just, everything, I don't feel like Margot Robbie's ever the problem in those in her movies. Um, I don't know if anyone really could have brought the life to this character that it required to jump off screen, but I do kind of feel like Margot Robbie would have 
had a better dynamic maybe just a little more edge to it perhaps like i just feel like shailene is kind of too soft for this character like when when they start arguing i don't feel like she could ever really out argue snowden or anything but i get the sense that in real life she should be able to yeah i do think that she might have done a better job and that was kind of weird at that interview because (laughs) joseph gordon levitt was like yeah like ever since like i was a kid in natural born killers like i watched everything oliver stone like i'm a huge film buff and then you get uh cheyenne woodley and snowden and they're like i don't really we're i don't watch movies like i didn't grow up watching tv or anything and 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 even snowden's like yeah i haven't even seen dr strangelove or anything so i'm way out of touch with like pop culture um and and i just kind of wish that came across a lot more too that like he was socially inept or some type of like a weirdo but he doesn't really spend a lot of time in public so that side of his personality isn't ever really you never get i didn't get a strong sense of his personality through the movie as much as i did in that moment during that interview where he was being so candid as to say like i'm not i don't follow film like i'm just a computer guy it's so it's interesting that that moment i sort of get a better understanding of the man than the entire movie i wonder if part of that problem is joseph gordon levitt not not as an actor but just casting him he Mm. he can play he plays you know like stiff and, and socially awkward at times in this movie but then he flashes his smile and you just go Oh, it's Joseph Gordon-Levitt. You know, like he 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 oozes charm in a way that, to my mind, Snowden never has. And and I wonder if you lose something in the movie that way because he's so I don't know because there's a charisma he has that yeah. I think you know, works well in a lot of his movies, but maybe did a bit of a disservice to playing Snowden here, given that version of Snowden. Oh, that also reminded me, not in that direct way, but maybe in the same sort of humorless way at the very end of the movie where there's that like panorama where Joseph Gordon-Levitt becomes actual Edward Snowden. Oh, yeah. And I turned to Mike in the movie that I was just like, oh, God, like, I can't believe <laughs> they did that. Like, it's just so bad. But yeah, like, maybe, maybe because Joseph Gordon-Levitt is really likable, and Edward Snowden, you know, if you like him, you like him for what he did right. and not who he is. Because right. he just, like, you, you don't want to hang out with him. Right, right, like, right, what, right, what would you right. talk about? Like, there's nothing to talk about. Like, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is, like, you know, this outgoing, he's a, he's a performer. Right. You know, more than, like, an actor he's like a showman right and to have him be this guy who is just like you know for lack of a better term the ultimate nerd it it works and like he's got that weird edward snowden voice for whatever reason he decided to go with that but like i don't know i I never thought about it until you just said that tobin but like maybe he wasn't the best choice for this yeah i'm starting to agree too you need someone who is more like a young james spader or something that is almost known for playing like maybe more of a dick uh (laughs) and you know as being typecast as someone who's maybe you know more prick and yeah, it's just you're right, jo- Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Like I'm, I'm immediately on his side because he's such right. a likable guy, and I already like him. And maybe that is part of the issue. Is like it's like subconsciously we can't disconnect from that, and therefore like we don't see Snowden as a bad guy because we're not seeing Snowden. We're seeing the actor playing Snowden and, too much, and that then underlines what, to my mind, is the main problem with the film, which is that they're too in bed with Edward Snowden to make an interesting movie about Edward Snowden and, mm. and by casting mm-hmm. maybe they didn't have a lot of choice maybe that's the maybe Joseph Gordon-Levitt is the for the money they needed the actor that they had to have and like I say I like Joseph Gordon-Levitt a lot I, I've been a fan of his for forever I think that it sort of you, you're now making me think Mike that that sort of 
underlines the issue that, that, that the movie has, which is just to make him immediately sympathetic and likable in a way that makes the movie then sort of less credible and less interesting. My only other little tidbit about the movie is that when they go on the hike, you can apparently see the valley from Lost in the background. So I guess they shot it <laughs> in Hawaii, so there you go. Yeah. <laughs> when, that, when that scene came on again, rewatching the movie, I said to myself, welcome to Jurassic Park. <laughs> <laughs> Because it's the same like mountains and the same island, and so it's the one they use when they represent Hawaii in every movie, and the same one that they use in the Even Stevens movie. Go listen to all yes. the movies. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much, Tobin, for joining us. I think you'll probably be back for another Cage movie. You'll definitely be back for Keanu movies. Yes, we're sort of in that now limbo where Cage has like five or six movies coming out next year. But we don't really have dates on all of them. I hope we don't have to wait for three or four at the very end of the year, but. If that's what has to happen, that's what has to happen. <laughs> I'll be ready for whatever, whenever you guys need me. So for all things Cage Club and all his movies and Keanu Club and all sorts of fun free things, you can go to cageclub.me or facebook.com slash cageclub. Hear all the episodes we've done. You know, we're doing Cage as they come out. We've done, I think, five this year for him. We're going to do five or six more next year for him. We've done, you know, we're putting out Keanu's weekly. We've got Zack Attacks monthly. We've got a big month of January for now and again. I think we're going to put out four four episodes-ish. You know, instead of two parts, we're going to have four parts. There's going to be something special in there. So lots of things to occupy your time. Set your New Year's resolution to listen to more Cage Club or something. I don't know. <laughs> Just do something like that. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was Tobin Addington. And we'll see you next time on Cage Club. <laughs> <laughs>